Welcome to the Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast with your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. This is a place where we discuss different factors that give law enforcement officers the ability to accomplish greater feats and tasks than they would without it. We will have unfiltered, candid conversations with those who have knowledge, know-how, and bring what they feel are these different types of variables to help keep our law enforcement on their top game. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Force Multiplier. My name is Lorenzo Valdivia and I'm your host. Today with us, we have John Valentine. Yep. Hey, John is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and arm, modern army combatives under the father of the modern combatives we talked about, Matt Larson. John has served as an assistant instructor for Larson for years. John has also taught with various organizations and units, providing training for service members, law enforcement, and everyday Americans. He began his jiu-jitsu in 2007 and has attended 600 plus hours of formal training in firearms and combatives to go along with over his decade of active military service. Thank you for your service, sir. Uh, let's see, as a competitor, John is an international submission grappling medalist with experience in mixed martial arts, boxing, and competitive shooting. John has been a concealed carry license holder, which gives him his experience with carry methods, equipment, and applications. John, welcome to Force Multiplier. Hey, Lorenzo. Thanks for having me on, bro. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So I gave him a, a little bit about your bio and I mean, you have a list of certifications. You mind telling us a little bit about those and kind of how those have, have helped you develop the skill set that you have today? Yeah, there's a lot of certifications and, and, and certifications are, are pretty easy to get. So I, I mainly focus on those certifications that are relevant as far as the product and the material that I like to go over. The most relevant certifications I have are really an empty hands, knife defense instructor by a red zone or Jerry Wetzel, range master, pistol instructor, development graduate, the red dot instructor certified law enforcement certification from modern samurai project, a UTM law enforcement instructor. And yeah, and, and I use the jujitsu black belt just to show that I have really, that's, a, that's kind of like my degree and then I have the certifications that provide the supplemental knowledge with that. So I try to keep it as scholarly and knowledge based, relevant knowledge to right, what right. the material is. So that way that that's why I have it that way, as opposed to showing, you know, like, Hey, here's my portfolio <laughs> and all that. So right. you know, well, very, very, just try to keep it concise and congruent to, to what people are looking for. Right. So before we started talking, you told me about this word that you have, and I think it'd, it'd be a good you know, kind of where we're going to go today. So let's, let's start with that word and then describe a little bit about what that is. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get into everything else. All right. Yeah. So I'm the, so let me back up a step. So like <laughs> people ask me all the time about different types of gear and equipment and this, that, and the other thing. And man, look, I am the worst guy as far as gear goes. I, I think most of it is like, you know, I, I think it's people just use it as a talisman to kind of protect themselves from or, or fool themselves into thinking that they've got skills because they bought this piece of gear or they bought this t-shirt or, you know, and instructor certifications are, are kind of a good indicator of that. So the, you know, if they can make mansplaining a word, so I was like, all right, let's go ahead and take this further. Let's go ahead and talk about the guys who don't like to train. So I came up with, came up with this word called talismaning, where it's a, a compensation for the lack of physical skills with an overinvestment in time and money in everyday carry gear or social media trolling, believing tangible items serve as protect 
protective talisman against violent assaults. So for example, <laughs> dude with the sheepdog t-shirt, instructor certification, etc., couldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. He is just talismaning with his memes of Tom Hardy talking about how loyal but dangerous he is. So yeah, that's talisman. <laughs> a little thought into that one, huh? <laughs> But, but it is something that we, something we do see, right? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to write that one down when we're done here and might have to borrow it from you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <too. laughs> I need you to email me that definition though, because that's a tongue twister there. But we do see that right with law enforcement officers, right? I got to have my tactical pen holder and you know, my, my five magazine pouch holder and you know, they, they do, they try to hide behind that. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely uh, think that is something that we do find. And I think that adds into, you know, everything we've talked about in the last, you know, 15, 20 episodes of the podcast is trying to get those officers out there to train and get them away from this. Was it talismaning? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? There's a lot of, let's call it institutional inertia that, that kind of keeps people from wanting to get serious about training. And truthfully, as much as the media likes to portray officers as having these, you know, intense gunfights all the time and like they're shooting civilians and all kinds of crazy nonsense. Look, for the most part, like 99% of police interactions are peaceful and they end with either you've drive safe or have a nice day. Right. So like, let's be clear on that. And the real driver for morality in the United States now is really coming from Hollywood. So like you take a movie, let's say the, the, the most recent movie that kind of comes to my mind, a cop movie is a uh, end of watch. Right. And they nope. start the movie with this retarded <laughs> gunfight where like, Oh, not only the guy, not only is it, was it tactically not wrong, but it's just like, like cops are not going to walk people down and gun them down like that. That's just right. like, it's not a thing. Right. But in any case it's, and so, and I, I bring that up because when all that stuff is what you see in the media, a lot of times you believe you identify with those things or, or you think that you can do those things because you see people that are dressed like you doing it. So it's like, Oh, I've done this type of class or, you know, I've been to the Academy, so I'm totally capable of doing those things. And uh, people don't realize where is like under duress. Like, and, and people say like, Oh, you're doing things under stress. Like look and paying my taxes is stressful. Like right. someone's trying to kill me, that's duress, right? That's right. a whole different thing. So like when people are, when you're doing things under duress and, and you have an opposition where that person has a say on who goes home, then that's a whole different thing. And the other thing of why it's really important for not just law enforcement, but really everyone to take training seriously is because you, you end up being, I'm a big fan of being deselected, right? Like if you look tougher or if you have a, a certain demeanor and attitude to yourself, you're more likely to be deselected, right? There's like, that guy is not going to try you. I mean, they've done studies where is police officers and they've got excess hypertrophy, right? I eat or muscle when they put on some muscle, you know, people are less likely to try them because right. you look like you can handle yourself. Now I'm not saying you should just only go lift weights, right? Because <laughs> right. Wolves are not afraid of big muscular sheep, right? So let's, that's, that's true. But it's just the idea of having composure, whether no matter who you're facing down and, and realizing your responsibility to deal with the worst of society. I mean, you, you've got to understand that. And part of it also I think kind of comes from the top, whereas, and, and by the top, I mean, just kind of the organization, whereas like they kind of do all these things that like tell you, Hey, you're special. You're amazing. You're awesome. And like one of the things I, I've noticed from my limited time working in, in force protection is that like, the organizations are not introspective, right? Like we're not like looking at ourselves as far as like how we can get better and how we can do things. A lot of times what we're looking at is the live we're, we're analyzing things from the point of how liable am I 
for this, right? So if I want to get people to do something like, you know, fight between connexes where they've armed with SIM guns and they're, you know, punching each other, grappling and shooting each other, you know, the first thing they ask is like, who's going to pay for that? Who's liable if something gets hurt? Like that's, that's almost a wrong thing, right? So we put the wrong things forward and, and, you know, the guys that the end users, they're the ones who are going to suffer the most because of that. Yeah. It's funny you say that we, I was talking with uh, somebody a while back ago. And that was one of the things we talked about was departments, you know, they don't want to put on this training because our officers can get hurt or, you know, our officers are going to get injured if they go to this. I can effectively say that, you know, I've trained hundreds and hundreds of police officers and it's less than half of a percent of officers that have trained with me that have been injured. And the ones that have had underlying issues, it's not the training isn't what caused the, the injury. It's what, you know, what, what was wrong with them before. And I think a lot of that comes in. And again, this is my opinion is a lot of that comes from old mentalities where that used to be the training, right? Is, Hey, we're going to put you in the room. We're going to beat you up for 20 minutes. And then you're going to leave. Good. You just taught that officer. He can get beat up for 20 minutes. Right. You know, I, I think the finding the right program, the right training is a big piece of that, of, you know, finding a program that is effective, that works, that is, is reliant on those techniques. You know, I think that's a, a big piece in, in mitigating what, what you were talking about. Yeah. That, that approach, I call it the, the 20 years and 20 minutes approach, right? It's just <laughs> yeah, like exactly. 20 years of training in 20 minutes and like, holy shit, this guy got hurt. Like, no shit, dude. You just put him in 20, 20 years of training in 20 minutes. Like, no wonder he's getting hurt. And yeah. it's like, it's not an effective model and for various reasons. And, you know, the other thing too is like, look, if, if you're out of shape, weakness definitely can get you hurt. Mm-hmm. Weakness does a lot more damage than any training out there, right? Oh, yeah. Because look, just sitting in a cruiser, right? Let's say you don't train at all, right? Just sitting in a cruiser and you're not like working out, you're not training and taking care of your body. Eventually you develop something like low cross syndrome because you've got, you know, your groups, your glutes are stretched all the time, relaxed, right? Your thighs, your hips are tight, right? Your abs are weak, right? So what happens is your hips tilt forward. And all of a sudden now you got back problems. It's like, oh, it's the body armor. It's just too heavy. Like, no, dude, you're just fucking weak. Like, yeah. that's it, right? So I just weak. had a conversation with, it was actually my sister. I, and I, you know, she was in an accident and she was, you know, well, I'm going through this stuff and this stuff and like my back still hurts. And I said, work out, strengthen those muscles. Physical therapy is great for a 65 year old guy that sits on his couch. Right. That's right. what I tell everybody. When you go to a physical therapist, they're working for that 65 year old dude that sits on a couch. They're not working for that active police officer, that active athlete. They, you know, they're going to tell you to do what that 65 year old does. And that's not going to work for you because you have more stuff and you want to stop those injuries and in that pain. Well, get in the gym and work out a little bit yeah, and invest yeah. well, a little bit. Get back to duty. Like you don't want to go ahead and sit in the desk all the time. Like you want to go ahead and get out there and, and do the thing that you said you were going to do. Like, look, there's a reason why people cho- choose military and law enforcement as opposed to sanitary. The benefits, the pay, the education scheme, right? It's all this. It's very comparable, right? right? But they choose military and law enforcement for a reason, because they want to be able to say something about themselves. Now, if you want to be able to say that about yourself, right, then you have to do the things that come with the territory, right? You want the benefit, but you have to embrace the burden as well. And there is a burden of responsibility, that responsibility of authority for constant readiness. Because like, you know, game day, we don't know when that's coming. Like my friend Cliff Byerly, he says this all the time, man, the day chooses you. Like when that shit's going to go down, like that day chooses you and you're either ready. Emergencies don't give a flying fuck if you're prepared, if you're certified, if you're in shape, none of that shit. Mm -hmm. So 
like how much do you care about like like even for for my civilians i tell them this when you start engaging and training and self-defense that means you believe you are worth defending that means you believe that your life is worth something guys if you don't believe your life is worth shit then that's what you're saying to me whenever it's like ah you know what i'd love to go train but i've got this thing i got the back thing i've got my knee thing like dude i I get it but it's like there's other things at play here and i I don't think you're really understanding the totality of the circumstances so yeah and you know that's uh, those excuses right and it's so i'm part of a group called the forge and the the guy that hosted jay teagues we released a podcast a couple weeks ago oh we talk about mindset if you get a chance to listen to that one and one of the big things he's, he's a uh, high performance, uh, like life coach. And one of the things he talks about is that, right. Is it's people, you know, this time excuse, right. I don't have time to do this. You know, he, I, I said that to him one day, I was like, Hey Jay, I, I just, I don't have time to do what it is you're asking. And he kind of punched me in the gut with what he said and, and I've taken it and I've used it. Right. So what he told me was Lorenzo, you know, it's not that you don't have time. It's that's not a priority. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> hang on, step back, Jay. And, and yeah. he said, well, hear me out, you know, listen to what I have to say. And we, we all have 24 hours in a day, right? We are all given the exact amount of time and it's what we do with that time and how we prioritize. It allows us to, to get better at things, right? So what did I do? Well, I was like, Jay, you're right. So I moved things around. I shifted things, you know, I, I got rid of things that aren't putting into my life, right? I was volunteering with a bunch of organizations and, and different things like that. You know, I went to that organization and I said, Hey, you know, unfortunately I'm going to have to step away as a volunteer leader for this. I'm going to step away for a long time to this because I need to get better over here. I need to commit more time to train to things that are going to give back into my career, what I'm doing, where my goals are at. And I think that is a big problem with police officers is they use the, I don't have enough time to do this, right? I got to work a 12 hour shift and then I get off. I have to go home and I have to, well, I guess I got to sit on the couch and watch TV and right, yeah. I got to. You know, I know you're not meal prepping because I'm watching you drive through McDonald's and sitting at Wendy's. So <laughs> you can't use that excuse. Right. But prioritize what it is you do. You know, maybe you do get one less hour of sleep, but that one less hour of sleep that you get goes into your training, which allows you to stay alive to get those five, six hours of sleep that you get. All right. So uh, police officers, they got to prioritize training. And, and until they do, you know, this is going to be a problem. Yeah, I've never met anybody who couldn't get like 10 minutes of freedom. Right. Mm. Right. Like, why can't you do like, you know, even look, you're wearing your kit. So that kind of serves as a weight, kind of find a little spot secluded. Do like, you know, maybe, you know, two or three weighted pushups, you know, you do yeah. it. You do like a, okay, I'm going to do um, six pushups, three pull-ups and, you know, nine squats. And I'm going to do that, you know, as many times as I can for five minutes, right? Something sim- that simple, right? All your gear on, everything like that. You don't need, you know, it gives you a chance to chest it out. Like there, there's always ways around it. I mean, even during shift and, but oh, yeah. it, I, I just don't, I think it's also, I think it's also people will feel like, well, if I can't do everything that I want to do, I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. I got a buddy and, that we talked to, his name's Dustin Mon. And we talked to him about fitness, but I think it was like the, the fourth or fifth episode we released. And that's when he's like, dude, when I run radar, I take bands with me. I time, I, I wrap them around the uh, mirror and I'll run radar and do band bulls while I'm sitting there. It's something, right? It's get out yeah. of your car, go walk around, right? You're adding yeah. 20 pounds. You're doing a, a weighted ruck. 
don't even yeah. realize it. You know what I mean? So yeah, just walking around, just doing foot patrol. I mean, what, what does that do? Gives you the opportunity for community policing. If you work in a metropolitan yeah. area, people get to see you, you know, you get to see the people, you get to know who's there, who, who belongs there, who doesn't belong <laughs> there. It's like, you know, you, and you're passively burning body fat. Like there's all kinds of ways. Like I just can't really buy into that whole I, thing. Like, I, I, don't I can't either. Mind. Yeah. I, I can't buy into that excuse of I, I get it I right like public service is a is man it's a shit job right you, you get paid <laughs> shitty and like at the end of the day you still like, do it <laughs> yeah right I mean you still got to do it and you know you're unappreciated but look hey as a man especially like I, I've just kind of embraced this so like whenever think about this when, whenever we hear something like hey x amount of soldiers died x amount of marines died mm -hmm. x like truthfully, you know, as, as terrible as that was with the 13 Marines that were killed in Afghanistan recently, I mean, is it still circulating in the news, right? It really was like about a week and it was really mainly because of partisan politics. And that's really when service members or, or public servants, when we're pushed as far as like our deaths go, because whenever it plays a political purpose, mm -hmm. but for the most part, people just kind of deal with it because they look at us almost as expendable. Right. So we've got to embrace that, that there are just some burdens you have to and embrace. Right. Like no one really, uh, especially men like men just don't have the value. Right. Men have to become valuable. Right. And that's a whole different thing. Like you have to really put yourself and embrace that burden that mm -hmm. what if you really want to be valuable, like it, it just join a law enforcement is not good enough. Right. Like you've no. got to do something there and make an impact on the community. Like, you know, I had this I had a, a police officer when when I was growing up in the police athletic league. And he just told me straight up that if I didn't get my shit together, I was going to end up in a cage, you know? And I still remember that to this day. I was 15 when he told me that. Mm -hmm. And I still remember that, you know, like to me, that guy, like that was exactly what I needed to hear. It wasn't like something that people today will probably accept. It was like, you know, this guy told my son he's going to end up in a cage. You know, like, how, <laughs> how sensitive parents are these right. days. But like, you know, as a young man kind of running around in the Bronx, I was, you know, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Like, look, this is the path you're following and this is where you're going to end and, uh, you know, can, you can change that. And that's kind of, you know, those are the impacts I think. Yeah. I think everybody's looking for that big old drug bus or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what people are looking at, but you know, they're not thinking about the the compounding effect as far as like the positive impact they can make. And, you know, that, and part of it is how they look too. So yeah. Absolutely. Right. Let's hop over. Right. One of, if, if you go to our Facebook page for uh, the force multiplier for law enforcement, the podcast, on the top, you know, many people have heard about it from Tim Kennedy, where he said, train with the motivation and the purpose that you will be the hardest person someone ever tries to kill. Right. I have that at the top of my page because it's true. Right. And you were talking about some of that prior to us coming on a recording of of that training and, and the stuff that you do. You know, what have you seen or, or what do you train police officers that gets them to that spot where they're the hardest person? that somebody ever tries to kill. Yeah. So big, big shout out to Tim Kennedy. You know, they sheepdog responses, you know, holds a special place yeah. in my heart because they, they actually were one of the first organizations I've ever worked for. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're making a huge impact. So big shout out to them. The, as far as getting officers to the place of get where they're hardest to kill first, we, that really kind of comes from a point of understanding the culture of the organization, right? Cause mm -hmm. right now, I, I mean, what we're asking, what we're really talking about is how do we create a successful training program within an organization, right? So imagine, let's think about it like in terms of this, right? Let's say, let's say we put up like how many, I don't know, how many medals, how many, you know, how many times this guy's been in the news, right? How many times our guys made the news for whatever reason, right? And we put like, this guy made it, you know, eight times, this guy, seven times, this guy, six, this guy, three, and this guy, zero, 
right? So what, what does that tell us there, right? We put that up on the board that everybody sees it. So what does that tell us about that organization that they value publicity? Right. Right. And if, if you, and then, so that guy that's at the top, he's obviously going to get the next promotion. He's going to get the best assignment. He's going to get, you know what I mean? He's going to get priority in a lot of things. He's going to get that special favor. So what we have to do as far as understanding how to create a successful program is that first we got to see what incentives drive the organization. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. A lot of people really underestimate that because like a lot of people look, there's a big difference as far as my uh, jujitsu club versus my combatives programs for military law enforcement. When people come into a jujitsu club, they're looking, they, they want to train. They're looking for it. They're already self-motivated to go and seek out training. If someone brings you into an organization, it's not necessarily the same thing, right? There's some people, they're just happy with throwing on the costume and having the gun and the badge. Like that's right. just totally true. So it's like, how do I get that person to train? That's really the, the goal there. And so that person isn't really going to train, but if he realizes that being well-trained and or trained enough is going to get him some type of special favor, that's really what I'm looking to do. So like training for the sake of training and just being a badass, like there are very few people that are motivated that way. And there, there, as far as I can tell, there's no programs, even mine that can actually produce that where it's like in eight hours, I'm going to make you a badass, No way. but I can at least show you how to train in such a way where you can become a badass eventually. Right. And give you the tools as far as developing your own program, because look, I mean, every department's different. Every department has a different thing they need to focus on, whether it's, you know, drugs or counter terror, you know, just managing, protesting, all kinds of things. Right. They just, right. just it's such a different spectrum of law enforcement. People think that it's just kind of this cookie cutter thing. And it's like, no, that's why there is different jurisdictions. That's why there's different, you know, departments, all that. Right. So, so we really don't know. So essentially for me, what I focus on is training methods and people will kind of, will say, what about the different sizes, a different speed, different strength? I was like, look, I'm going to give you kind of like bare bones thing, right? For the most part, people are more the same than they are different. Okay. And that's totally true. I mean, and mm-hmm. once they start including attributes, then that's where it's like, okay, you use the training methods. Now you start including your attributes, your specific context and tactical niches, and you start producing the techniques. Right. right. And all those things. So that way, essentially, if you train, you will find the answers that you need for yourself, as opposed to me owning all the answers and all the problems for you. Because look, I mean, something that works for me may not necessarily work for thee yeah. because yeah. of the everything as far as what techniques work, it really is dictated by the tactical situation. That's exactly. not necessarily something that is like, you know, you like this arm bar and you're going to do it. Like the tactical <laughs> situation decides what you're going to be doing there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that the program that we train under uh, a good friend of mine, Johnny Lee Smith, he's a fifth degree black belt under Carlos Machado. And one of the things that he always tells us and, and we kind of pass around is we're going to teach you techniques, but we're going to teach you something that's going to work most of the time against most people in most situations. There is no technique out there. There is no program out there that is going to work against 100% of people. We're going to give you a baseline. We're going to give you a technique it is going to work against most people in most situations. It is up to you to get out there and find the rest of the techniques that are going to work against those other people and give you options that when this doesn't work, because it will fail, every technique that you learn will fail at some point. And you need to have the backup to the backup 
to be prepared to get to that next spot because no program, I don't care what program it is, it's out there. Right. And then I'll tell every program founder that there is that that has a defensive tactics program or a law enforcement program is your program will fail at some point for somebody. And if you can't say that, then, you know, relook at your stuff, but encourage people to get out there and train. Right. I I think that goes right along with what you're saying there. Let's say, well, right. Like if I come and I teach a department, right, that's an event. Yes. Okay. Now training, that's a training event. That's just, as soon as I leave or whatever, that's it. That is, it's done. Training is not an event. Training is a process. Yes. It's something you have to do regularly. It has to be consistent and it has to be reoccurring. And the other thing is that it has to be relevant and realistic to what I'm trying to do. Yes. As far as like what I'm trying to produce. Perfect. So it's sad that the institutions like we're kind of we're really behind there. Like we're, we're kind of following old order thinking or old order doctrine. Right. Mm-hmm. And as pressure testing has been more prevalent, right, where we have something where it's like, all right, let's go ahead. Let's get some. Let's get the UTMs. Let's get the shot timer, all these things. And then it's like, you know, I start realizing, well, I'm the end user. I'm going to be on the end, receiving end of this. So let me go test it out. A lot of times we start to feel realize and, and like find out some of the shit that's doctrine that's been circulating for years and years. Absolutely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I have some techniques that that I teach that we were teaching for felony stops, right? Because, you know, one thing that we've always heard is never let bad guy touch the gun. One of the things that we used to teach was if we're at a felony stop and we're at our distance and, you know, we're, we're going to go felony traffic stop is where we use this. And I see a gun in, in the small of somebody's back. We would teach the, the police officers, have that person, two fingers, grab the butt of gun, put it on the ground. And they were like, Oh no, nah. And, you know, we had to go through using UTMs and stuff like that to, to show them that if that gun gets introduced to you in the back, bad guy's going to win. But if we do it 20 feet away from us, we have time. Bad guy's faced away. He doesn't know where we're at. You're going to win 95% of the time versus a 50-50 odds back here. And you know, it, it goes to what you were saying of, of times change, things change. You know, another incident <laughs> is we had a sheriff election last year and we had a, we'll call, we'll call him an old timer. He, he was running for for it for it and they were doing a a big panel interview and from the stage he goes you know we can't just walk up and hit people over the head with mag lights anymore (laughs) everybody was like oh my god like what is this dude saying and you know i sat there and i was like okay one you shouldn't have said that you're running for sure i said but on the other side like that is a training point right there is we can't do that anymore he is absolutely correct. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that guy had something uh, from what the way I saw it is that guy recognized we can't do things the way that we used to and we have to change it and we have to modernize it where everybody else laughed at him and thought he was a fool. I was like, you know, he made a valid point. Unfortunately, if you're not a trainer, people don't understand that yeah. side of it. But, you know, I think you're absolutely correct with that. One of the other things that I hear a lot uh, when I'm talking to departments about, you know, trying to get training and whatnot is they go, we don't want our cops going to the ground. Well, yeah, cool story, bro. I, I, I know you don't. And I'll, like tell you, I, I'll tell you this. I don't want your cops going to the ground either, but here's the reality of it. And I challenge all of them. I say, go on YouTube, find 10 videos of police officers getting into a altercation with somebody and then come back to me and tell me how many of those went to the ground. And nine times out of 10, they come back and go all 10 videos I found, they went to the ground. I said, now let's talk about training, right? Modern times, things are changing. That's the reality of it now. The other thing too, with the whole, like, we don't want our cops to go to the ground (laughs) argument is it's like the, well, number one, the ground is an omnipresent impact weapon because Mm. if you foot sweep and drop somebody like 
You know what I mean? A lot of times they're like, okay, I, I understand you're serious <laughs> and I am going to you know, comply now, officer. And the other thing is that the ground is a controlling agent. Like if I can put them between me and a hard place, that is going to be really good as far as making sure I can mitigate their access to weapons, access to my tools, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like running away. Cause man, I don't want to get into a foot pursuit because if this guy, like, I think that is a bigger threat to me because yeah. if this person is willing to run, that means they're willing to fight. And it's like, okay, look, you don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to go to jail. You got to take me to jail. I understand, but this is just business. I got to shoot you now. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, I, I think the if you put people in for, uh, positions for foot pursuits, I think that's a way bigger threat than putting them on the ground. I think you can mitigate a whole lot of problems. Uh, now, I'm not saying I, I don't want people to kind of, you know, wave the flag of jujitsu on here. And because, look, sometimes jujitsu that taking people that taking people to the ground can create problems, too. But again, this is why I'm talking about, like, you, you've got the tactical situation starts to determine exactly what you're going to do. Yeah, like, I, like, I love that you said that, right? Because, you know, I don't know, we want to really get deep into this topic, but we can touch on it just a little bit, right? Is uh, there's this big thing right now, right? This big crazy movement of like, all cops need to do jujitsu and all cops need to be blue belts. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you, I'm totally against that. Yeah, I don't think all cops need to be blue belts because what is there there is no at, at the current this standard for blue belts across all of jujitsu, right? It's dependent. And, you know, I'm a jujitsu practitioner and the blue belt is a coveted belt, right? That's what everybody, right? They hit their yeah. blue belt. And then, you know, everything after that is, is time and technique and understanding, but that blue belt really is your like, Hey, you're kind of understanding what's going on here. Right. So I, th- I think it's going to degrade the belt, which is one, right? right. Uh, the other part is I get so many people that, you know, I've had people on the podcast and, and, you know, I'm respectful of everybody's opinion, right? All of ours are different, but they, that's what they tell me is all cops need to do jujitsu. And my argument with that is, is what happens when that cop that's a blue belt goes up against a, a criminal that's a purple belt? Do we make all cops purple belts now? Then what happens when they hit that brown belt? Do, do we now got, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's a never anything. And I think that there's techniques and, and things that can help police officers. A, a big one. And I saw it in, in your deal and we're running a program with the uh, strategic self-defense and gunfighting tactics. We have an edged weapon program is you want to know how to stop a jujitsu practitioner, introduce a knife that, 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 that changes the game. But yeah, I, oh, I, get, yeah. A little, I get a little riled up when people are like, all cops need to do jujitsu. No, they don't. So I can see, so I can see both sides. Right. And, and as a, and to talk about that whole thing of like, you run into a criminal who's a purple belt and like people are like, Oh, you know, the community is weeding out. Look, there's a reason why I run a jujitsu club as opposed to an MMA club. Yes. For some reason, MMA clubs, they just attract dirtbags, Right. Because look, those guys, like they don't really have a lot. They're, they're more prone to violence. So those guys get into these, like kind of want to be UFC. Just fighting, you know, things. So that yeah. way they can make some money. Like we had a guy come to to my gym with fucking Matt Larson who did that. So, <laughs> like, it just, it, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a real thing. Trayvon Martin, the guy that uh, George Zimmerman shot, mm-hmm. like, uh, that, you know, that, that kid, he was training MMA. He was mounted on top. I mean, we found out George Zimmerman was a dirtbag after the fact. Right. right. But. You know, Trayvon Martin was mounted on him, beating his face in and tell him, hey, I'm going to kill you. And that's why, you know, he introduced the gun. So there, it's out there. It's out there. Right. As far as like, you know, low lives and dirtbacks training MMA and boxing and all that, like that is a thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, a, sm- a small percentage of it. Right. And I think that's a big thing that people right. have to understand is yeah, uh, I'd say it's about yeah. the same as far as like, you know, jujitsu competitors. Right. It's, it's right. a real small, small percentage, but it's there. Right. But so 
same thing with law enforcement, right? <laughs> I mean, we can bring this right back to cops is, you know, the percentage that out there is small of these bad cops in, in quotation marks, but it sets the standard. Uh, I can't remember who it was, a uh, competitor, a uh, high level competitor some years back and, and he got into a, a big fight and, and hurt somebody real bad. And he was a high level jujitsu competitor, but then the whole community looked down on, or, you know, the whole world looked down on jujitsu of like, they're raising all these dirt bags and it's like, yeah, that, that's like less than half of a percent of, yeah, of Bra- the Brazil has been dealing with that shit for the longest, right? <laughs> right. Anytime there was a street fight, they'd be like, oh, it's jujitsu fighters, like in the newspaper. So yeah, yeah that's in Brazil the whole time. It was like, it's like people, people are just scared of violence, but to answer your question, as far as jujitsu, right? I think, so that's one side of it, right? There is, there is definitely degradation of the art. There's definitely problems as far as like, you know, introducing the techniques in the wrong tactical circumstances, yes. using the positional hierarchy, not, I mean, the concrete is a lot more unforgiving than the mat room. Right. right. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that there are no environment as sanitized where like something as simple as a shoe can't be an improvised weapon. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, there is some issues, right? So, and I can see that. The other thing I see, and I think this is where I think this is part of the argument that's not getting taught because everybody is thinking about what to do. Right. And they're thinking right. about jiu-jitsu. why should we do jiu-jitsu? And again, this is why I come back to the cultural standard. Right. What does the culture value? Mm-hmm. Now, one thing the mat does is that I can tell if you've been working out. Yep. I can tell if you've been training. I can tell if you're serious. And I can tell who I can rely on, like who I would want with me in, in coming through the door. Right. Like there is a mutual accountability factor in the jujitsu culture. Right. And the other thing is like, I can tell if you actually, if what you're doing is real because jujitsu, I mean, for all its faults, I mean, it's a great bullshit filter. If I like tell <laughs> yeah. you like, Hey, um, you know, I'm going to tell you how to take your females and they're going to use five, you know, one thumb of pressure to control a 200 pound <laughs> man. Like, like I think Go that's ahead. bullshit. Let's go try it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it at least puts it in people's minds to like, Hey, let's try this. Let's try this. Right. Let's go ahead and let's see who's actually game. And it, it also says something too. I mean, if, if you get the, the leadership in the mat room and all that, and they're participating in this type of training, what happens is they, they realize they can actually be a lot capable because lot more capable than they are because you know for law enforcement versus military i mean guys can be operating well into their 50s you know and it, it's not the same with the military and they're not you know bad guys always sizing people up it's like i am just you know shrug this old man off but if this old man knows how to grapple <laughs> we can see like how that can work out right but, and so in this old man right we'll say that like he's probably in a leadership position he's probably at least a sergeant of some kind right he's at least in some position of influence so if you see the old timers doing that, what that does is it sets the stage and it sets the yes, precedent yeah. for all the new guys coming in. And I think we can actually, we won't see like the guys we want with, I mean, we want the, I mean, <laughs> the movies have kind of taught us that like all <laughs> cops are like expert shooters and yeah. they can fight badass and stuff like that. Uh, and then once you start working in the community, you realize like, man, these are like ordinary folks. They're, they're a lot like the people you went to high school with. They're mostly ordinary folks. So as far as I want to do it, something different, right. And, or they want to make a meaningful impact because they genuinely care about their community. Absolutely. Right. And, and some people are, are doing it because of they're making a living, all kinds of reasons, but they're mostly ordinary folks. So as far as like getting those passively building operators, I don't necessarily think we're going to get that within the next 10 years. Right. But I think if we at least have something that provides 
like a, a mutual accountability within the culture. I think jujitsu is a great tool for that. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure that, but again, right. This is the problem I see there is that police culture is not introspective. So right. they might buy it buy into the Kool-Aid and, you know, start gulping it. And all of a sudden, uh, yes, this is not, this is the pure police jujitsu. And it's just like, <laughs> dude, well, like and, you know, I tell people, you know, and, and let me clarify, right. Yeah. Is I don't think jujitsu is the answer, right. We'll capitalize T H E. I think it is part of the answer. Right. And I, I had a good friend of mine, he had a conversation with somebody and Something he said is, you know, defensive tactics is essentially it, it's its own martial arts for, for law enforcement. It's different. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll never have a belted system with defensive tactics. Right. I, I don't think it should ever go that way or, or should be, you know, a, a standard of training, maybe. But, you know, I think jujitsu is a part of it. And, you know, for reasons like you stated, and there are elements that are are good, but there are elements that aren't that great. Right. Cops, in, in, in my opinion shouldn't be trying to put bad guy in a triangle choke, right? Like, right. come on guys. Uh, it, you can barely get it on the mats. Why are you going to try it on the streets? Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, you never know, right? He might use that triangle to shoot him in the face. Then that'll be really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good luck justifying on that one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, that's, true. that's true. But anyway, but, but, but you know what I mean? Like I do think jujitsu is part of the answer, but I just, I don't think it's the answer. The other side of it is, you know, most people can't, cross train. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, one example that we use in the program we teach is punching somebody in the human head with a closed fist. It is a horrible idea for a police officer to do that. I tell people all the time in my, in my classes, like, Hey, look, the, the hands, these are fine motor instruments. Okay. These are meant for, yes. you know, shuffling paper, playing piano, <laughs> making it rain, stuff like that. Right. <laughs> Useful skills. And what happens, right. This is how I kind of put it in perspective with police officers. And they're like, Oh, I'll just knock him out. Yeah, that's cool. So what happens when you punch that guy in the head, you break your hand and two seconds later, you need to go for your gun. And now you can't because you just broke your hand punching that guy in the face. Yeah. And then it's also, it, you know, we don't really take into the, take into, take into consideration that that psychological effect that'll have on you mm -hmm. as well. Right. It's like, oh shit, plan A did not work. <laughs> yeah. I do not have a plan B. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've quit in the fight before it's even gone to the point where it's like, you know, the point of no return. And so there's also that it's like, you just, and how many punches can somebody take? Right. I mean, we just saw UFC this past weekend, right? These dudes are trained. Like to knock, yeah. They're trained to knock people out. And these dudes are taking, you know, 30, 40 punches to the head that should knock them out. And you know, that just shows the human body, like punching somebody in the head and knocking them out is a very low percentage of a success rate. Yeah. Get your training. Right. And go to your tools, right? Go to your tool belt. Police officers, use your tool belt. I am a big proponent of using your tool belt. It's there, yet the only things that ever really get pulled out of your belt are your handcuffs and your gun. Yeah. You got it, batons, it, tasers. Use that stuff. Yeah. Why get into an altercation when you can control somebody from 25 feet? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And look, it's like, I, I got a, a lot of guys I work with. They're like, man, you know, I fucking hate running. And I get it. Right. But it's like, Hey, that's why you got a radio. Cause that's just a lot faster than your <laughs> right. <And> a car. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you, if you're good at holding them now, right. And I can get to you, you don't got to run. You just got to right. keep them there. Right. Yeah. That, that's it. And we can both make the arrest and have hero sex when we get home. Right. Like, <laughs> so, don't worry. Like, you know, but you gotta be, you, but you gotta be fast enough. You gotta be capable enough. I got, 
to at least know that if we go into some type of call, whether it's, you know, a barricaded suspect or some type of domestic and somebody is trying to, you know, put hands on you, I, I got to at least rely on you to at least be able to fuck up one person. Is it like if you need my help every single time like that, things kind of go beyond, you know, that that. Compli- voice compliance, right? Like yeah. I talk to them and they just do what I say. Like then that kind of makes you, in my opinion, makes you a liability. But mm-hmm. you know, it, this is for me, like I encourage people to learn how to control Right. Because a lot of times people will I don't think people have a problem going to their tools. I, I think what happens is that the timing is wrong. I think sometimes yes. like like you were talking about the felony stops. Right. And they go ahead and like person draws on them. So they rush to their gun. And a lot of times that creates a tie in a gunfight. Right. Mm-hmm. And both people shot like that's not a good plan. Right. right. That's, that's, that's going to suck. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> but if I basically, you know, smash this dude into the dashboard or manhandle him a little bit, right. Then I can at least mitigate his acts. I, I first control the tools, right. I have first, I have control. Then I can establish a point where I can access mine. And then even then when, if you're accessing a weapon, where it's like, you're in, you know, we'll call it grappling range. Then the first thing is like, I can't get, I don't want to get shot. Right. So, I mean, I even teach people, Hey, you say like, don't shoot myself. Like remind yourself, like, don't shoot myself because you know, bullets do weird things Mm -hmm. and they going through them is throwing through people is part of them. So it's like, like a hollow points. Like, so you're telling me you have a non penetrating penetrator. (laughs) Say that again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, I think another part of it is understanding what defensive tactics is, right? Defensive tactics gives you the opportunity to create, Create the distance to go to those tools. It doesn't give you the opportunity to use those tools in that moment. It creates the distance to use those tools. And, you know, I think that what you said was was spot on of police officers need to know when to use those tools. I shouldn't be introducing a gun while I'm in the middle of trying to defend punches from a guy. My full focus should be stopping this dude from punching me, then creating my distance. And then introducing the weapon if I need to, right? Like I shouldn't be trying to draw my gun while this dude's beating my face in. Like that's just it's a horrible idea. But how many times do we see videos of police officers doing that? Yeah, yeah. I was so the so the new Matrix is coming out, right? In December. Uh-huh. So I went back and watched like the original one, right? And it was funny because they show like the uh, Trinity, the cops show up and they're going to arrest her. Right. And the, and the cop, he's got his gun in one hand and his cuff in the other hand and he goes to cuff her. And then she like turns around and beats the shit out of him. Right? Yeah. That's where she gets that jumping, like that, that <laughs> signature kick from the matrix. And right. like, See, look, even the movies, they know control before cuffs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but man, it, it's true. Right. I think Jay Wadesworth, he does a, a good video. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to see it and he talks about OODA looping yourself, right. Of creating that, that, environment. And one of the things that he does is he has a guy with his hands in his pocket and he's facing him from the front with his gun drawn. And he tells the guy, take your hands out of your pocket. The guy pulls his hands out of his pocket, has a gun, shoots him. Boom. And keep in mind, Jay has a gun pointed center mass. I mean, all Jay has to do is pull the trigger and he can't get it off. Right. Cause he gets himself in this hole, but then he changes perspective guys, hands in his pocket walks behind him. So the guy can't see. And in this particular one, Jay keeps an angle and he tells the guy, remove your hands empty, nothing in your pockets. And as he's doing that, he's telling him empty hands as this guy removes his hands. And when he doesn't see anything in his hands, he knows he's safe. And then, you know, the guy will start to pull out a gun and you know, Jay's empty hand. Oh, 
that's not empty. Right. And, and now he set himself up in, you know, for success. But, you know, I, I think it goes back to that is you got to control your people first and, and you know, don't oodle loop yourself in, into it. But even with that situation, why not just have a guy for, forces like, hey, shove your hands into your pockets. Yes. Shove I, your hands into your pockets. Don't fucking move. Mm hmm. Right. Why not do that? Because, I mean, his hands ain't going anywhere. As soon as he moves. Right. You already know. And you right. get the angle on him. I mean, you can do the same thing. Yep. And, and that's what he and go back. That's what he did when the guy had his hands in his pocket. He told him, keep him, keep his hands there. And yep. then he moved himself to a better angle before, you know, having him remove his hands and yeah. Yeah. Um, angles win fights, man. man. It's like it's, you know, because I, I run that scenario with some of my guys a lot. And, and it's one of those things, again. Whereas at the end user, you're going to be the one who suffers the results of these, right. you know, so why not, you know, whenever doctrine just tells us like, Oh, make sure you guys watch the hands, make sure you guys can always see the hands kill you, blah, blah, blah. And they put this fear in people and then they never go try it out. And they just assume they just trust the leadership. They trust <laughs> it, They're trusting the leadership to make sure they set them up for success. But when violent criminals want to kill them, Right. Right. So this is a fit. This is a, so if your people are trusting, you owe them every bit of training you can possibly get. Cause Absolutely. now everything you said is fucking gospel. If I'm some 18 year old kid or, or excuse me, let's say a 20 year old kid, I've got my criminal, uh, you know, my, my criminal justice associate <laughs> and I joined the Academy. I don't know right. shit about violence, you know, unless I grew up in the hood, but if I grew up in the hood, chances are that I, I did shit for fun that, you know, is disqualifying on a piece. <laughs> I can't do it on the street. Right? You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, like that's why you got people from the burbs policing in the cities mm-hmm. because it's it's a whole different culture, right? And that's that like we're not taking into consideration the type of people who are becoming cops, and they they don't really understand that. That's why they end up jaded and stuck in a bottle because essentially they get these these moral injuries where it's like, man. These people, they beat up, you know, they're smoking weed and teenagers, they're selling drugs, they're committing acts of violence, like, you know, they're cutting people, they're doing all kinds of crazy shit for fun in the hood. Mm -hmm. And like, I grew up in a whole different place. I have no idea how to even understand these people. So, so, so what that means is, and I, I say that just to say, you know, as far as like putting, framing the problem of the average kind of new hire. And most of the time, these guys have never been in a fight. They've never been punched before. Yeah. And then we get, so, so you're telling them, Hey, these are the things you're going to deal with as a law enforcement officer. They're fucking scared shitless. And then you tell them like, and this is how you solve that problem, man. They're buying into that shit. And they thinking like, wow, man, that's, it's a really scary thing. But you know, I trust because you're here and I'm here that you are providing me with the best thing possible. And I'm going to go home at the end of the day. And look, a lot of times, like I said earlier, the shit that's been circulating for 20 plus years is exactly wrong. Once we try to get it out with UTMs and all that, you can figure out a whole lot of shit and save yourself a lot of pain. If you just go out and test what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Well, and then, you know, even take that into your defensive tactic training with, you know, being punched in and all of that is the program that I ran at, at the police academy and it took me years of fight. I mean, it took me probably about three years of fighting with our course chiefs and, you know, our head people of, Hey, I want to put these guys in boxing helmets and MMA gloves. And I want them to get punched before they leave this police academy. And they're like, Oh no, like we're going to injure people. I said, guys, it's controlled. Trust me. You can control somebody getting punched in the face. Finally, they, they said, you know what? We're going to let you test it with one class, see how it goes. And I mean, everybody was there. I had to make sure this thing went. I mean, anybody who could have ended my career was in this room watching. And, you know, I, I started and, you know, I, you know, 
get a bunch of men in a room. This, this particular class had, was only uh, men in it. And uh, nobody wants to say that they've never been punched or been in a fight. So, you know, I made them all close their eyes. And, you know, I said, hey, guys, if you've never been punched in the face. And I said, and I punched, put your hand up. And, you know, it had maybe five of the 40 that have never been punched in the face. And I said, okay, now if you've never been punched in the face in a fight, raise your hand. I said, I'm not talking playing with your brother. You know, that's not a fight. I mean, somebody's really trying to take your head off, put your hand up. Now we had about 10 people of, uh, of the 40 that were in there. And I said, okay, now, because I want to go talk to those people afterwards. So we went through our drill and keep in mind, we had already had uh, roughly 30 hours of defensive tactics training. This was the, the final uh, culminating event that they do. We put the police officer in a bad position. Uh, good guy has MMA gloves on. Uh, police officer has boxing helmet on. And what I would tell them is, police officer, you cannot punch bad guy. You need to use the techniques that were taught because, you know, this whole time I've taught you don't punch bad guy in the head. So you can't do it. Right. And they, they would get hit and, you know, they get punched in the face. And then afterwards we'd come back and we go, well, what was that like? And some of them were like, one, I know that the training that our leadership gave us works. They've proved it to us. They help us stay alive. And I know that I can survive through this. And, you know, I think that goes back to what you were saying is leadership needs to help these guys understand that. And don't send a 20 year old with a criminal justice associates degree out on the street and let the first time they get punched in the face be from a bad guy. This, you know, help them understand that in a controlled environment, you know, where you know, they're not going to get knocked out, but you know, they can understand what the body's going to do, what their brain's going to do. You know, it's in, it's like a, it's a shock factor when you get punched in the face for the first time, like, like yeah. what, what just happened. And you know, that all comes back to what you were saying about leadership, providing the training and, and setting their guys up for success. And you know, that, that there's an instance where a lot of departments fail at that, or they put on the training. I was going to hit on this earlier is they put on the training, right. Or the, the event, right. But they don't put on the continuing training that takes that event from just being an event to now becoming a lifestyle and, you know, trying to protect that police officer is, Hey guys, we're going to spend, you know, 500 bucks and we're going to put on this great eight hour course. Yeah. And then you'll see it again in two years, give them time to train right? Yeah. Give them somewhere, get with a, a local gym. I can't tell you how many gyms would donate time or spots or, or give your department, you know, a, a massive discount to get your officers in their training because they want officers to train and it puts police officers in their building, which keeps their building safer. You know, what, what I noticed too, is like, like, yeah, when you run scenario drills, right? What, what, how do people usually react? Right. If they're usually like all kind of distraught, like, wow, man, that really went bad, like really fast. And then like, so once we're done with the scenario drills, you know, I, I show them a picture of a hockey team, right? So like when the hockey team is moving down, I think it's a lot more appropriate as far as like tactical movements and all mm -hmm. that stuff hockey, as opposed to like people are genuinely are, are generally doing the comparison with football players, but right. with hockey teams, right. They're moving down the field, right. They're blocking, they're playing offense, they're handling the stick and moving the puck and everything like passing, watching defenders, right. Also playing offense, switching to defense and all this stuff is on the fly, right? Like we, we mentioned Oodaloo. Yeah. Okay? So, Whenever, if I brush up against some shit, right? That's like, oh, um, this is hot. Do I look at it? Do I turn? Like, wow, my arm is burning. Should I move it? I'm going to move it now, right? <laughs> like that's, it's not cognition that makes that happen. And on the X, it's mostly not cognizant. Like you're not solving problems through cognition. And that's mm -hmm. why a lot of times the scenario drills are, are really fucking people up because they're really thinking about how do I do this skill and how do I solve this problem? So they're like going back and forth because human beings we just can't do two things at once very well right, right? not <laughs> consciously at least however so 
And the reason why I bring up the hockey team is because all the things that the hockey team is doing are the players thinking about skating. You see what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's all. So what it, what that tells us is that better my skills. Right. If I have better skills or better underlying skills, as far as like whatever the tactical circumstance it dictates for me to do or requires, I should mm-hmm. say, the better my underlying skills are, the better my solutions to the problems, right? And the tactical scenario will be. So like, for instance, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, the idea of tactics, techniques, procedures, right? TTPs. Yeah. I think a lot of that is is cart before the horse. I think you're assuming, so what tactics and procedures almost are the same thing when we look at the definition really just it's a means to an end it's a plan and then techniques that has to assume that people are training right it has to assume if for you to have a technique that means you have you own it and that means you have the skills that support that Mm -hmm. technique so i think it's yeah i think it's kind of uh, it kind of implies that people have skills already and that is not true. It's like one of those <laughs> things where we hear people say, oh, combatives is just enough training to get still get your ass kicked. That's mm-hmm. because you do force on force right away. If I take people that they've never shot a gun before and I take them straight from the gun range, from the from marksmanship training into a shoot house, I'm sure they're going to be like, man, you know what? That marksmanship training was just enough training to still get shot, right? Yeah. And it's because the, the live opposition is there right away. And that's the thing they need to understand is like, look, if you said that about combatives, you need to say that about all the training you have. The only difference between combatives and everything else you've done is that there really isn't no opposition. Right. So so I, I think it's more it should be like a, a PTT, right? Like a preparation, right? Tactics and the techniques to solve those tactics, because the, the techniques as far as like, I, I don't really, I'm not like a technique heavy guy. I don't focus a lot on techniques. I focus a lot on tactics and plans, but also the, the training methods that develop where you can, you understand the battle plan. Yeah. So if the plan is right, you have two basic scenarios, whereas help is on the way or help is not on the way. And just because it's not on the way for you doesn't mean that's not on the way for them. Correct. So, so what's the technique for there? All right. Well, sometimes the technique may be smash the guy up against the wall, put him on the ground, you know, or hold him against the car, put him in the A-frame, something like that. Who knows? Right. Or the technique could be break contact, move to cover, you know, yeah. you know, re- reestablish projectile weapon range. It like I don't know what, like every single fight is going to be specific and unique to you. It's like, oh, people say, if you get into a knife fight, you're going to get cut. Tell me a real fight where people are fighting that, that no one takes damage. Right. Absolutely. You know, there's one person that, that doesn't take damage. Like That's like, okay, dude, that's just stating the obvious at that point. If you get into a fight, you're going to take damage. Mm-hmm. Right. Accept that. But if you have a plan, you're going to mitigate a lot of damage. Yes. You're going to mitigate a lot of risk. And dude, that it, it looks good. Like right now, the biggest threat for law enforcement is the cameras. <laughs> like, so, yeah. so you got yeah, to camera. So your tactic, your tactics, have to facilitate being recorded because you don't want to be the next dude viral, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I tell my guys that when we would train as guys, you're going to get punched in the face, but it's how you control that damage, how you control that individual that is going to dictate what happens. So yeah, it's not going to be that bad. It'll suck, but it's not going to be that bad. It's like, you know, like for, for, the chicks, right? That's like, oh, we need a, a thing specifically for women. Like, dude, I'm a little dude. It's a lot like being a chick. And it's, you know, it's like, you, you, like, there's no special sauce, man. It's like, you just got to be better and it's still going to suck. That That's the only solution. You got to be better trained than the other person. That's all. Yep. And that's what I tell people is you, the, the biggest thing you have to accept is that it's going to hurt and it's going to happen. Next, you need to figure out how do I mitigate that pain to a tolerable level and then control it and get away to be able to make further decisions. Yeah. So don't 
Yeah, no, I agree it, with you. It's it's just interesting. It's like um, you know, everybody wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster shit. Right? <laughs> yeah. And that's why everybody is is that's why people become law enforcement and they go into the military or they become some you know or some other you know agency mm-hmm. is because they really want to be the warrior in the room. They really want to be that person that people can count on. They right. want to say like you know I'm a warrior and I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna rise to the occasion. And look, I mean, like if you guys ever get a chance. Watch that show. I think it's by Discovery called Making the Cut. It's basically yes. a documentary on all the different special operations and how they do their selection. And what you'll notice when you watch that show is a serious lack of flat ranges, right? Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> because you do not build warriors on the gun range, it's not the tools. What happens is you build warriors by subjecting people to physical tasks of adversity that require physical courage. Right. And and that's, that's not a title you can bestow upon yourself or anybody can do it. You either know it or you don't. And really like, if you haven't been to war, you got to go to war with yourself. And and that's what training gives you the opportunity. It gives you the opportunity to be a warrior. It doesn't mean you're there yet. And and it's not, I'm not saying that I am myself, you know, that's why I continue to train. And that's why I continue to go to war with myself because no matter what I've done yesterday, it's almost irrelevant. As long as I, what I've done yesterday is only as relevant as what I keep doing today. And there's somebody out there that's trying to beat who you were yesterday. So yeah. you have to always stay a step ahead of them. Right. Yeah. And uh, man, I think that's a, I think that's a good point to, to close this guy out on it. That was, we have to write that down, but Hey man, I appreciate you coming on. You know, we'd love to, to have you on in the future. Told you we didn't even get to what we talked about before, (laughs) (laughs) but man, I appreciate you coming on. And you know, this was kind of short notice of, you know, I think we got introduced to each other, what Saturday uh, through Carrie. And like I said, man, I appreciate you coming on, taking some time. I'd love to have you back on in the future. We could talk about some stuff that we had planned to talk about and yeah, dude, anytime keep this going. And yeah. So you got anything else for, for the listeners before we we close out? Hey, I I have, uh, anybody's got questions or are they, hate my guts and the things I have to say, I'm pretty easy to find. So just, just look up John Valentine on Facebook or, or you can find the combatives association, Facebook group and got a lot of subject matter experts and you give you a chance to tell you how much you hate my guts and we can talk about it. Awesome. Hey, every week I remind everybody to get out there and train to help themselves to be better for themselves be better for their family, be better for their friends, and most importantly, be better for those that they encounter daily in their jobs. That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend so you never miss an episode of Force Multiplier for law enforcement. Another way that can help us grow and reach more listeners and agencies is by leaving us a review. They are read and the feedback is taken on how to make this podcast even better to reach our community and different law enforcement agencies. 